What does it take to become an elite 40K player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Hello and welcome to Art of War Unbroken. Champions may lose, but their spirits remain unbroken. I'm your host, Blake Law. This is episode 30 of the podcast. We've been here forever. We are very happy you are joining us. They say we learn the most from our losses, and that is exactly what this show aims to do. We are interviewing elite players who have lost one to two games in a major event, and we are talking about the mistakes that they perceived they made and how they plan to learn from them how often have you gained, blamed a game of bad dice? I do it. Nick Donavati does it. Everyone does it. Manny Chima does it. He just won the GW US Open. And speaking of which, I went to the GW finale this weekend, and it was an absolute blast. I got absolutely wrecked by some of the best players in the US. And speaking of which, one of those players will be joining us for this episode. And we are going to be talking about the thickness, the thickest of the thick. We're talking about thick city versus thick city. Now, this is part one of the podcast. In this part, we will be analyzing that game. We'll be talking about common mistakes that are made during games, secondary choices, target priority. You guys all know the drill by this point. In part two, which is available to subscribers of the podcast over at theartofwar40k.com, we'll be talking about strategy adjustments, list adjustments, all the things that the player plans to do to adjust after taking a loss at the event. So make sure to join us for part two. My co-host today has trapped me in a Ponzi scheme so deep of podcast. I can only keep doing this podcast if I turn and get more podcasts to sell more podcast subscriptions below me. Help me. I have a trunk full of unbroken swag and subs that is an absolutely amazing investment opportunity for you and up to 10 friends. All jokes aside, my co-host is widely considered the Tony Romo of 40K you can see him drawing all over Games Workshop screens if you watch any of the GW Opens. He's a four-time Adepticon champion, a three-time NOVA champion. He's won basically every major out there in the United States. He's a former ITC champion, a lifetime member of Team USA. He is Mr. Brown Magic, Mr. Nick Nanavati. Blake, that was the best intro I think we've ever had on any show ever for Art of War. You've been nailing it. 30 episodes and you're already doing this? Oh, let's see what you look like after 50. 100. I'm, I'm talking 100, man. That's where, that's where I'm really going to hit my stride. A couple of years, you know. Two years in Blake Law, the narrative. The narrative. That's all I'm going to do. Uh, Nick, what is the most Christmas-themed model? Most Christmas-themed model is Fate Weaver. He delivers presents. And I'm not even just saying that. There was at the Warhammer series finale, there was uh, Lord of Change from one of the Age of Sigmar players. And he was his whole army was Christmas-themed, and he had like Christmas Santa hats, and he was literally shooting presents, and it was awesome. If you haven't seen that, you have to go on the internet. Just, just look up, I guess, Christmas-themed uh, Zinch, and I promise you would not be disappointed. It was one of the best things I've ever seen. Absolutely amazing. He has like dudes pouring hot cocoa over themselves. It's... It's unbelievable. One of my favorite armies I've ever seen live. Our guest today beat me this weekend in a match where he wore a blindfold and I got to blindly swing at him with a baseball bat. He just dodged and weaved as I swung aimlessly and um, somehow he pulled out a victory over me. He bought his first blister at age 10, a pack of Dark Reapers. He has stuck with Aldari since that time when he decided to get really competitive at the start of 8th edition, he really kicked it up a notch, and you have seen him on a tear throughout the Midwest throughout this season. 
You've seen him in Midwest events, super majors. He is a contributor to Goonhammer, Mr. James Kelling. Hello. Did Thanks I say your last name right? You did. Oh, man, I nailed it. Uh, that's my my history with this show is literally mispronouncing every single person's name. And I'm really sad Brad's not here right now to hear me say your name right. Man, it's the most phonetic name possible. <laughs> I'm proud of you, Blake. This was a big step. You got a good narration. You got a good last name. You're on a roll. I ha- I'm hammering it. Um, James, same question to you. What's the most Christmas-themed model? Oh, so I got a Bealtown Craftworld Army, so the entire thing is Christmas-themed. I mean, playing Frozen North, everything's snow-based, but uh, I'm going to have to go with one of my ghostly boys, the Race Sears. Race Sears? Why, why Race Sears? Did you know that those things have like 144 gems on them, and I painted every single one of them Christmassy red? Oh, so you got you got like the Christmas tree race yeah. here. Well, that Pacific model, I will give you. I will count it. I'm going to count that model in your army as the most Christmas thing uh, model. I love it. Well, let's jump right into it, man. Though, like 146 gems. Who does that? It's it's masochism. Is what it is. It's, <laughs> it's you know, like putting up Christmas lights. Flagellation. Yeah. And you and Blake. I don't know. I'm just. I'm out of here. <laughs> let's jump into it, man. We are all at the finale this weekend. And um, I thought it was pretty freaking awesome. Like, it was the cap to a great season. GW put on their first U.S. series. You had Orlando, then you had New Orleans, and then we had Austin. And it all culminated to this weekend where we went to Grapevine, played at the Citadel. And James, what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, it was a great event. I, um, I, was, I was kind of filling in for, you know, some of the, the finalists who couldn't, couldn't quite make it. Um, but in terms of, you know, what it was, I mean, we really were there to kind of showcase some of the new missions and play on some of those new missions live for the 40K community. And, you know, I mean, I feel like mission accomplished, right? Like it's it's a nice capstone to what is a new, new, but, you know, new for like the last decade, uh, GW series of events. And, uh, and I'm really excited to see where it goes next year. Yeah, I'd like to, whenever we get into y'all's mission, I'd like to at least touch down on one of the new missions, because now that they've been on the stream, we can all talk about them. So I'd like to talk about the mission you played here in just a couple minutes and just really uh, get into it and some of the changes. I think that'd be kind of cool to get into as well. Um, The terrain, of course, was the GW terrain they used throughout their whole U.S. series um, with the obscuring terrain in the middle, the obscuring ruins in the back. Just the classic thing that I think we've talked about for probably... 10 episodes at this point. So if you haven't really heard anything about that, Google it or listen to literally any other episode we've talked about the U S series, but James, what are your thoughts on the, your thoughts specifically on the terrain that GW put out this season? I've, I've always been a fan. I'm not sure that some of the missions, you know, over the course of the, uh, the opens have lined up with some of the layouts, I think ideally, um, but I've been a fan of both of the layouts for the various deployment types. Um, I think they make a really strategic game in a way that some of the other more random or uh, fixed maps don't. Um, and a big part of that, I think, is the break in like the end-to-end line of sight, right? Like in one of the boards particularly, you can only really draw a line of sight to about, call it about 24 inches or so, um, except in very specific parts of the board. And I think it makes it a little bit of more of a chess match. Um, and in many ways, I think it does cut down on some of those instances where you're just like, man, I really want to go first in this mission. Um, it it kind of gives you a bit of a, a different way to play. And I think some other events in their terrain layouts um, have allowed. That said, you know, I'm a little bit leery about um, them being standardized across all events uh, because I think there's not a lot of 
uh, diversity in the boards. And I, I wish there was another like third or fourth uh, layout option that could be sprinkled in. And maybe that'll be you know looked at next year. I agree with that, actually. I think that adding a couple more sets to it would really diversify it. And I also agree that I don't want to see it immediately be across standard because there's a lot to be said about, oh, I'm preparing for this tournament. And then there's a different set. There's a lot of fun to that, I feel like. There's a lot of like list building thought and, you know, just like gamemanship to it, I feel like. Yeah, it keeps it diverse, keeps it fresh. Um, gives you something to look forward to. Different. Now, James, you played The Thick City, the new <laughs> hot list on the internet. I know you've been playing Dark Eldar, or Jukari, I guess now they're called, for the entire 2021 season, probably well long before that as well. But what was your list? What did you bring? Tell us all about it. Yeah, so it's it's interesting, right? Because the finale was played um, post kind of post the update, right? For points for Jukari and some others. Um, I had actually brought a you know quote unquote thick city list, not quite the same um, to Nola, but it brought both Tales and Kronos and some other stuff. Um, and I thought it performed really well. I really liked. Uh, I mean, Kronos are great, Tales are great. Um, at the time, I thought Tales were a little bit overpointed, but I thought they went well into you know the meta of gray knights freebooters um and that minus one damage on those things is, is clutch um then the points update came out and it just became better right <laughs> you just kind of doubled down on that in a way for the finale um i mean i, I think jukari you know one of the things that i think tends to happen in this game is like there's just an obvious list build if you're taking a certain faction and then there's a you know the counter build to the obvious build right um, and with the finale being so close post Austin, as well as, um, you know, right after the points update for me, it was just kind of the obvious, I have these models. I'm not going to really overthink this very much. I'm going to take a thick city list. Um, and so, you know, how that changed over the course of the season from Nola and Austin to the finale, um, is more of leaning into that Graz piece of it, the Taylor's piece. I actually took the Kronos out. Um, I love the Kronos. I think they're great into a lot of matchups. Um, but I knew at least one other player was going to be bringing Drukari, probably Thick City, being Brad. Manny threw me a curveball by bringing Thick City. Um, but it turned out to be, you know, great game that we'll get into in a minute. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it was just kind of the obvious direction to go, especially for myself, who had already been playing a Tails Kronos Heavy Army. Can you kind of give us a general gist of uh, the different slots you took and the different choices you made? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I've always wanted to try out is um, a real space raid. I've just never found a reason to really take it in a competitive setting. Um, but with the finale, I mean, I, I wouldn't really consider it a high stakes event, right? Like it's more of like, a, we're going to try out some new things. Um, we're going to have some good games. We're going to meet some new friends. Um, and so it's not like a, you know, buckle down, hard competitive, you know, scenario, you still want good games. Um, but so I'm like, yeah, I'll give it a shot. I'll take a real space raid. Let's see what this looks like. Um, with, you know, stripping out the Kronos because of the mirror, it made it a lot easier just to focus on Talos and Grotz, take that minus one damage trait, but then keep some of the flexibility that the other um, sub factions provide, whether it be Blackheart um, or I took a, um, a witch cult, the uh, custom witch cult. Um, I forget the specific traits, but it's uh, the plus AP and the uh, plus to wound against monsters and vehicles. Um, and we'll so, throw your list down in the comments so that people can kind of follow along with this too. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so I mean, it started off with a uh, obviously the three characters you got to take the uh, Archon, the Hammy, and the Succubus. Um, because I didn't take um, really because I kept the Hellions, I wanted to keep a, a, a custom cult. Um, so I didn't have competitive edge, so I went with Quicksilver on the Succubus with the Triptych Whip, so she gets about 12 attacks on the charge and just picks up anything that's not a vehicle. Um, and then with the Archon, the kind of typical loadout of the Fight Last Ancient Evil trait with uh, the Gin Blade. And then the Hammy, I went with uh, the upgrade, or, and all of them were upgraded, um, to get the upgrade for the Homoxicites. Because um, I want to give them a shot. They're a little bit more durable for a rack unit, and I just wanted to kind of see what that's like. Um, I noticed that Anthony Vanella, who had taken um, a similar big city list to Austin, took the Ampule, which is a relic that's uh, open to the Hammy once you upgrade them. And um, I just wanted to kind of give that a shot. I thought it was an interesting pick. Um, it, it was pretty useless in our games in, uh, in uh, Dallas, but um, I wish I had the Vitae, the Animus Vitae. Um, but uh, it's, it's an interesting pick nonetheless. I mean, into a wider, more diverse field. Um, one of the, I think, the key things is being able to strip out Bodyguard, being essential there. Um, but the rest of the list was mostly uh, bare bones, witch, bare bones, cobblelites, and then racks, and then um, eleven grots, four, four, and three, and then eight talos, um, three, three, and two, and then uh, two by five hellions. With the talos, I went with the um, gauntlets on six of them, and then heat lances otherwise, and, and scalpels, micro injectors, obviously. Now your list is pretty thick there. That's a, that's a thick list, but I think that. The thickest of the thick is actually the list that Mr. Nanavati is about to read us, Manny's list. Yeah, I actually had the pleasure of attending the U.S. Open Series finale myself. I was actually commentating the entire event, so I actually got to commentate both Manny and James's battle, which was Thick City versus Thick City, which we're about to get into. Um, so Manny was running just double patrol and only took the artist of flesh for the minus one damage so he's only got two detachments and everything is minus one he had two hqs only at homunculus which is just the flat three region and the animus vitae he went for that one uh and the super succubus same one Brie james took i'm sure with competitive edge and the triptych whip he had a lot of racks which i think is an amazing choice um really good in the mirror and also just covering up the weakness of this army he went for three units or 15, 15, and 16 for 46 right there, and then three units of five for a total of 61 racks. Then most of them had Ossia Factor, so they could use the uh, ability to advance and shoot the Ossia Factor and then fire and fade the unit still. Two un three units of five grotesques, and then eight Talos as well, with all Heat Lances and Nicker Injectors. And he all went for all macro scalps on his because he had those modeled appropriately. If you were to tell me before the US Open, if Manny were to run Thick City, what would Manny run? I'd be like, that's that's Manny. This is Manny's list right here. This is 100% him. And um, yeah, this is this is the most Manny list I've seen in a while. Manny has one speed and it is just no breaks. He, he takes whatever list concept he's running and brings it to 11. That's just his style. 60 all racks. In. Chips all in. 60, rack, 15, uh, 60 racks, 15 grots. Let's go. <laughs> Let's do it. Um all right, man, what mission did you play? And tell us kind of a little bit about the mission changes with the new cards and everything, and um, just run us through it. Yeah, so um, one, of my, one of my buds over at Goonhammer was, uh, was live kind of tweeting some of the events, some of the changes as, uh, as they were being announced or understood. But um, I don't have the name of the mission, but it's basically priority targets. Um, it's kind of an inverse priority targets in that it's 
really for the most part exactly the same, um, except that you know rather than you selecting your priority objective, your opponent selects it, um, and then you know with the obvious change of instead of five, ten, fifteen, it's four, eight, twelve, um, and you get the additional three points for holding the priority objective that your opponent nominated in your table half. Um, so I think it's an interesting twist on the mission. Uh, I, I mean, I think for the most part, the mission itself doesn't change a lot, right? I think that mission gets solved pretty easily. It's just a matter of, you know, who goes first, they move the objective here, okay? And you counter and move those objectives. Once that kind of gets understood, I think that probably ends up the same every game. Um, but, you know, the dynamic of your opponent selecting the priority target, you know, means that the game itself is going to be different and that you're probably always at risk of not scoring that full 15 um, on a given turn. And, you know, I, I think it's a really, really good change to that mission, which, you know, pulling that secondary out and putting it as part of the primary, I think is huge. Uh, that was just, it was one of those missions where if your opponent didn't take that secondary, you would stop them in their tracks and be like, what do you want to take that secondary? Um, so it just kind of became a boring kind of mission. Um, with the secondaries, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't say that there's a lot of wholesale changes. Most of them are out there already, you know, kind of known about. Um, again, uh, Rob was live tweeting some of the uh, changes as he understood them from the event. And uh, most of, I think, the changes came in, like, the shadow operations sections. And I think they're just slight tweaks um, that have made a lot of them more interesting. Blake, I know you and I had played... Um, and you had taken, what was it, uh, deploy teleport homers? Yeah, or? I took homers just to kind of test it out, just have fun with it. I, it was good. Like, I feel like I played it. I had a bad list to play it, and I still scored eight. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, investigate signals I took in our game, and I think that was a lot more interesting. I mean, just that whole, that slight nuanced change of um, scoring it, you know, at the end, once your opponent has been cleared out of the middle, is... is it opens up a lot of opportunities. Um, I think so it's I think, cool because you get to, uh, you know, I feel like you could build, we had talked about, it, you could build into both of those pretty well, I think, either yeah. way, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think I know there's, there's people out there that are kind of hoping for really wide scale changes on the secondaries. And honestly, I don't think it was needed. And I think uh, what has been done is a good place to build um, for future changes and additions. Um, My I, favorite is actually um, the change of the oh. name to retrieve Nukmon data and hearing <laughs> Sasha say it uh, live was uh, just a real treat. That was one of, one of the best parts of the weekend. <laughs> I kept thinking to myself every time that, I don't know, Scrambler's Rod Nukmon data changes, I'm like, I, this didn't need to happen. <laughs> this could have just been boy Scramblers every time. <laughs> yeah, Scramblers. These are the changes that matter. Yeah, like, I, I hope they have discussions about this. Like, I, I like to imagine when they're discussing what changes to make for the rules, they're also discussing what changes to make to the names. I, I hope someone was red in the face. Yeah. <laughs> I hope someone was sitting at the table red in the face saying, no, no, it must be Nukmont. It must. You know, just like really aggressive about it. That'd be great. <laughs> well, so tell us, so that was the mission y'all played and kind of, um, you know, it changes things a little bit. It's still the basic core of the mission, but you have a little, you're a little bit at the mercy of your opponent as opposed to it used to be because they get, you get to choose your opponent's priority target essentially is what it boils down to. Yeah. I mean, I think the core of the mission is there. It's just, it's just a slight nuanced change that, you know, changes the way you play it. Um, it was, I felt as a commentator, I felt like the mission was much more back and forth than priority targets. 
priority targets in its previous in its current rendition. I feel like it's mostly you can count literally how many points each player is going to get because that secondary makes it so free. Stranglehold is so easy, and then whatever the other one is is kind of you know that's the variable. But other than that, it's really easy to predict. This one was not. This one was much more back and forth because people are able to mess with the primary a lot more, and they have to figure out that last secondary. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, you know, like we said before, like when you previously selected priority targets, like if your opponent didn't, you would you would make sure they did because it's just 15 points to giving away otherwise. I mean, it's just, so it's a lot more dynamic on the, on the scoring front. So James, What's, why don't we just get into what, how your game with Manny generally went? Like what was the general ebb and flow of the game? We can discuss that. And then if you think there were pivotal moments, decision points, what those were, and if you think what the decision points were basically. Before we get to that point, actually, James, can you tell us what secondaries both of y'all took, if you can recall? Yeah, normally I have my you know battle apps for this, but I'm kind of pulling it from memory. Um, so Manny had taken Stranglehold um, to the last and raised banners. Um, and I had taken um, Heard the Prey, the Jakari secondary, and then No Prisoners and the new Nachman data. I wanted to kind of give that a shot. Um, so you know, based on the primary, the secondary selection, uh, I actually, I actually was pretty. I liked, I liked Manny's choices. Um, Stranglehold, I thought he'd probably max, um, just based on his number of racks. He was going to be able to, he was going to be able to obsec me off the objective if nothing else. Um, but I figured with raised banners, he's probably maxing at ten. And to the last, uh, I mean. In our game, he's got to commit the tails. His tails are the two last units, and if he doesn't commit them, it's two thousand points on one thousand points. Um, so I knew I was going to have an opportunity to start knocking at a score. Um, with my picks, you know, hurt the prey is just kind of—I don't even think about it. I just select it. Had I thought more about it, maybe I would have gone with engage on this one. Um, but hurt the prey is pretty automatic for me. Um, I took no prisoners because under the new no prisoners. Um, the change there is you get an extra point if you tally up over 50 and an extra two points if you tally up over 100. Um, and Manny's looking at probably about 120-some wounds in his army that are countable. Um, so pretty reliably, given that we're just going to be slugging it out over that center objective, I'm, I'm putting up between 8 and probably 12 points, um, you know, short of bad dice. And then with the R&D, like I said, I really want to kind of break it in a bit, see what it's like. Um, my list is a little bit faster than Manny's was. Um, his about controlling the board. Mine is a little bit on the edges in terms of the Hellions um, and some of my five-man units. Um, so I thought I had a decent shot of pulling at least eight on that um, and probably 12. As a commentator of that game, I actually thought there was a really interesting relationship with your secondaries and Manny's secondaries. Basically, you taking no prisoners incentivized you to kill all of his grotesques and racks, and then him taking to the last and also incentivized you to kill the Talos. So, in essence, they became a very win-harder secondary situation for you, where you basically have to table Manny to really get your points unlocked or bring his score down. And Manny could play keep away, although because Manny, one, ended up at top of the turn, which I know we haven't gotten to, and then also took Stranglehold, forced him to kind of come forward. There was no keep away for him. He just had to go into your meat grinder and see how fast you kind of got through it. At least that's how I read the secondaries. Yeah, I, I think that's right. and. um you know, to when I as I was kind of coming into the game, right? I was thinking about like this Manny versus me matchup, um, and you know we might be getting there, Blake. But you know, one of the things I was thinking about is, is that 
I'm probably punching through Manny's army twice as fast as he's punching through mine. The problem is the racks, right? Like I don't have enough tax really to start bringing down those larger rack squads. Um, and so Blake, stop me if I'm ahead of you, but you know, my plan kind of coming into this is I want my Talos shooting at his Talos and then in combat, my Talos targeting his Grots, his grotesques. And then I want my Grots into his racks kind of down that line while my Hellions and quarter kind of picking around the edges, um, either charging in on the edge and then falling back and charging elsewhere. Um, but basically trying to move around the flank and up the, you know, to his home court, kind of trying to press there. Um, in many ways, kind of seeding that, that center objective, um, you know, into the mid and late game. No, that's solid. That's a solid thought process, you know, trying to grind down those big units with your guys with a lot of attacks and uh, kill the stuff that's going to kill you in return. I mean, that's that's just a sound, a sound uh, opening, I guess. Did you feel like you had too too much to have to go through because of the nature of the secondaries? Just like you take no prisoners, you want to kill everything. You want to also kill the Talos to the man. Um, you know, like killing most of the Talos doesn't get you anywhere as far as units go. Was Did it ever feel overwhelming or did you feel like you had to make priority choices between killing one or the other or did this kind of happen in the game we can get into it i guess um kind of i mean so like with his selection on raise the banners you know i knew i didn't probably need to kill all the talos um even taking out two of the squads would have been fine i probably would have just let the third go um as long as i was in a position to you know be competitive on the primary um but then also scoring my secondaries um, with no prisoners, I was pretty confident I could score higher than his to the last. It was just a matter of, could I balance his stranglehold? Um, and the idea there was to get, you know, back into one of his home objectives. Manny's list isn't fast and it doesn't hit hard. It just, it just lives, <laughs> you know, the racks, right? The Grots and Talos certainly hit hard, but you know, they're, they're going to be having their hands full of my own Grots and Talos, which again, are better equipped to deal with them. Right, right. And that's because you have the Talos gauntlets on yours, and he has the macro scuttle on his. So you have flat three damage, which reduces down to two, and he's got flat two damage, which reduces down to one. Right, right. And which turns into a pretty considerable advantage once you start slugging. Well, so how does the game, game actually... Man. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> go ahead, Blake. I'll say go and walk us through the game. That's we, I think we said it at the same time there. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I think both of us were hoping for second turn. Um... I think, you know, Manny ended up taking first turn. Um, and, you know, in retrospect, that actually kind of flustered me a little bit. Um, he moved out. He, he was very cagey with his Talos. Everything else was kind of positioned. If you're familiar with the 40K uh, terrain at the, at the GW um, events, it's very much a uh, the long kind of hammer and anvil board type. Uh, but you have large obscuring and line of sight blocking blocks that are you know, for a Drukhari army within striking distance of the center objective. And so it's a five objective game, one's in the center. Um, he was able to position most of his things for a turn to advance and charge uh, to the center. And so he ran out, you know, one of his rack squads, um, fire and faded it onto the objective, um, using an awesome factor. I thought that was a great add to his list. Um, and then positioned the rest of it to be ready for turn two. Notably, he had his homunculus out there, which I did not catch uh, when I was kind of <laughs> in my first turn responding, um, but positioned to throw his grenade for um, turn two for the plus one. And so, you know, 
as these games tend to be, Jukari on Jukari, um, in these first in these GW events, it was kind of a very quick move my stuff. I'm good. Over to you. Kind of turn. Um, so then I went and I kind of had the decision to make of you know, he's gonna score 15. I'm not in a pizzer of well, 12, 12 or 15 with um, the new mission. Um and I wasn't quite in a position to battle him off that middle objective. Um, I, I, I just couldn't get enough into his large rack squad. And I think that's key. He uses the largest rack squad um, to take that center objective. And so really I pushed everything out to prepare to just wholly engage his army on turn two. I knew I was going to have to fight through it. Um, I was going to have to do a lot of wounds. I knew I could fight better than he could. Um, and so I, I just went to push it out there and take the charge and let it come on. Um, I do have, as a real space raid, I did have a Vect, and so I wanted to get him into me, get him re-rolling his wounds so that I could Vect that and eliminate that from future later rounds um, as best I could. And then, um, yeah, go from there. So most of my Talos positioned pretty forward. I wanted to avoid any shots from his Talos on turn two. And then uh, my Grotz positioned on the flanks, and then Hellions started to move out from there. Um, do you want me to keep kind of rolling into the next turn? Yeah, yeah. Tell us, just tell us all about it, and tell us where you think maybe you made a decision you would take back if you played it again. Yeah. So I think I think right there is probably a decision I would take back. I don't think I'd be as aggressive. Um, and I'll tell you why in a second. So on Manny's second turn, he threw his grenade, um, and which you know everything else is already advancing and charging, um, but now he's on plus one to hit, you know, which is exactly what he wants. Um, and so our shooting phases lasted probably about two minutes apiece, and then it was right into the rolling dice and the fight and charge phases. So pretty much everything played out there. And I think you probably saw that on the stream a bit, where just it's nothing but models locked around a center objective and just standing there swinging at each other for five turns. Um, he, he was it was truly really a joy to commentate. This <laughs> <laughs> fun game at the table, though. Um, kind of a chess match in a way. So, you know, most of his stuff was able to charge in. Um, his tail is still hung back. Um, so it's really just kind of a couple of squads of racks and then his three large grots, uh, grotesque blocks. Um, and mostly they were going into my tails, which were kind of leading the charge coming out. For the most part, um, this is kind of what I wanted. I knew he wasn't going to do a ton of damage to me. Um, I mean, nothing's doing more than two damage there and reducing by one. I mean, I'm ignoring on just average dice about 55% of all that damage. Um, it's it's going to be limited what he's going to do across all those, those big bodies. Um, but the mistake here, I think, is that I wasn't because of the way I was positioned and so far forward, he was able to kind of block out my ability to kind of strike down like I wanted to. So again, tails in the grots, grots in the racks, things like that. I just wasn't able to get any swings into the rack squads like I wanted to. Um, that was going to allow me to start chipping away at his obsec advantage. Um, so for most of the next few turns, I was stuck kind of fighting his grots, um, which is good. But with my grots, I couldn't quite get to his racks. Um, which was a you know, you know I couldn't I couldn't take that center objective as long as that was the case um, unless I could get my own 
moxicites in there, which, you know, he was able to, to cut down pretty early in the game. I think turn three is when they finally went away. Um, the other, I think, big mistake that I've made um, is I had some Hellions racing up the side of the board. Um, just wanted to be in position to, to get to um, some of the Nachman data, um, get some of that secondary points going. Um, he had done a pretty good job of screening out in the back, so I knew I was going to take Hellions up the board in order to, to get that. Um, and a succubus had made a charge on his turn two into one of my Hellion squads, which, you know, presented me with an option, right? Where am I going to intervene? He didn't start with his succubus. He started with, uh, I, I can't remember what it was. I think he might've started with Graz into a court or something. Um, so the decision was where did I intervene and was it going to be the succubus and probably remove her and that threat, or was it going to be into some Graz? Um, that would hopefully limit the damage that was going to come into my Talos that I would, you know, obviously need to fight this battle out. Um, and I kind of made a decision to go with the Talos, which turned out to be, I, you know, in hindsight, awful decision. <laughs> the Succubus would clear those Hellions, uh, which would limit my ability to get Nachman data. Um, but then it kind of cascaded from there. Um, you know, improbably she... She rolled through a second squad of Hellions um, that had charged her. Um, but, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, well, I put my position, I put myself in a position for that to even happen in the first place, right? So, um, right, right. after rolling through that second squad of Hellions, she then went to cut through my backfield, which turned into a game of like, well, now I'm in reverse, right? I'm not moving forward towards the center of his objectives. I'm trying to cover my own. Um, and using units that I need to get secondary points to do it. So um, I would say, you know, that succubus decision probably cost me somewhere in the ballpark of 15 to 23 points total. Um, and I'm, you know, that's not to say that Manny's not without agency in this. You know, if that happens differently, there's certainly actions he might take or will take differently. Um, but just her going through, I think, what ended up being three or four uh of my troop squads just really really kind of undercut me in a lot of ways yeah that makes a lot of sense i, I know as, as watching that game from the commentators seat, i was definitely highlighting that as a game turning factor i, I internally i didn't want to say this on, on stream live but internally i felt like that was going to cost you the game but of course it unfolded the way it unfolded speaking of which how did it unfold was that i was asking you basically just keep going yeah so i mean that fight in the middle, I mean, it was just kind of trading blows, positioning, um, trying to get, you know, a foothold on the objective while trying to knock down some of his Talos. Um, so he had, um, he had, you know, obviously been sitting them in the back. He had to commit them around turn two or three because he was losing the fight um, over that center again. I mean, I had all eight of my Talos engaged um, and they were just punching Grotz down um, racks when they could. Um, and, you know, to Manny's credit, he was making some, some very key, key, uh, feel no pains. I mean, I think the number of times I left a grot on one wound, you know, to really absorb that next hit was <laughs> probably five or six times. Um, he, uh, he, um, you know, in his second, this is kind of trouncing through my backfield. I had to take, you know, what was left was, uh, four-man grad squad that I wanted to be sending up towards his priority objective um, that was literally just sat by five 
five racks. Um, you know, shouldn't have been an issue fighting that. But then with the succubus in my own backfield, taking my objective um, and no other options, I had to send them back to kind of manage that problem. And it just, it was a snowball from there. Um, you know, we, we kind of cut each other down on the middle. At the end, I think uh, he only had two Talos, one of which was was deeply wounded. Um, a grot here and there, and then a bunch of racks that are kind of covering his home objectives. It's not it's not a lot of a lot not a lot of challenging movements across the board, but a lot of it was just kind of the target priority at the center objective and things like that. The yeah, pacing, like yeah. Little sequencing, getting a lot of technical minutiae, right? Yeah. 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 For sure. Well, James. That was an excellent recounting of the game there. In part two, which I am now deeming the Magic Nick Hour instead of Magic Mike, Magic Nick. It's normally the Brad inning or the Brad Hour, but uh, we don't have him here, obviously. So the Magic Nick Hour. I'm pumped going- for this Magic Nick Hour because I'm, I've been talking about this game so much and I just can't stop, apparently. So now I want to talk about what we could have done better here. We're gonna talk about it. We're gonna talk about is we're gonna talk about any list adjustments you're planning on doing, James, moving forward too. I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on the future of the thickness. So thanks for joining us, man. For all those listening, go check out theartofwar40k.com. Go subscribe to the podcast. Join us in part two for the Magic Nick Hour. I'm very excited for it. Magic Nick Hour. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War and the Art of War Down Under podcast on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com.